Ashley's Memorial Day sale is going on now. Shop our biggest selection of hot buys, cool deals, or shop limited-time savings on new summer spaces. Plus, get 72-month special financing on select in-store mattress purchases made with your Ashley Advantage Synchrony credit card between May 14th and June 3rd. Whether you're redecorating indoors or rethinking your outdoor space, save big on this season's trending styles only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required, no minimum purchase required. See store for details. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Mac Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. Now, I can't tell you that for sure specifically because Mac Weldon makes men's clothing, but I've felt Mac Weldon clothing and it feels pretty awesome. And of course, there is the best thing about it, which is the line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobacterial. I never say that quite right, but it means that they don't stink, which means that you can put off doing laundry for longer, which means you don't fight with your husband about doing laundry, which is, of course, the real reason to buy any kind of new underwear. They do believe that smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping are important. And it is the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you will ever wear. They want you to be comfortable, so if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it, and they will still refund you. No questions asked. Not only does Mack Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look good, they perform well, too. It's good for working out, going to work, going on dates. Well, I mean, you know, dates at home especially, which are my favorite kind of dates. And they are good for everyday life. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off using the promo code FRIENDS. That's MacWeldon.com and get 20% off using the promo code FRIENDS. Welcome to With Friends Like These, a podcast about uncomfortable conversations. And yeah, they're pretty uncomfortable this week, I would say. We're going to talk to Ezekiel Kweku, who is my colleague at MTV News, about race and conspiracy theories and about perhaps the way that white people are doing a little projection when they think about the dystopian future of Trump's America, because some of that stuff we're worried about has already happened. But first, we will welcome Adam Savage, who, of course, was the host of Mythbusters, is now the editor-in-chief of Tested.com, and kind of a freelance Mythbuster and science advocate. He is going to help me out with a question from a listener. I think that we get to some interesting common ground with it. That is the show. Please stay tuned and enjoy. Adam Savage, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. You are a currently a freelance mythbuster, a science advocate, and editor in chief of Tested.com. What is Tested.com, Adam? Uh, well, Tested uh, Tested started out as a venture that Jamie Heineman and I were doing with Norm Chan and um, Will Smith, uh, not the Will Smith, a different Will Smith. <laughs> Um, and it's, uh, Jamie, Jamie left, uh, about a year ago when we wrapped Mythbusters and it's my, it's my portal on the web where I celebrate making in all of its forms. Um, we talk about gadgets, we talk about, uh, the process of 
of creating, whether you're a filmmaker or a maker, a sculptor, a performer, um, and it's all things. It's all things celebrating that aspect of, of altering the world around you. Um, it's been it's been where I've been putting most of my energy for the past year. And of course, I've called on you today sort of in the context of being a freelance mythbuster and science advocate, although I think this fits in with Tested too, in a way, because we're talking about testing reality. We're going to talk to a listener who wrote me um, with a problem. Uh, Her name is Keely, and I understand she's on the line now. So, Keely, hello. Hi. Good morning. (laughs) Good morning, Keely. Okay, so um, I was just introducing Adam, and Adam is going to try and help you out and help me out helping you. You wrote me about um, a situation you have in your family. Do you want to tell us what it is? Yeah, okay. So, um, basically, I have a family member that uh, has kind of lost her mind, it seems like. Um, Before the election, you know, everyone in my family were very pro-Hillary. We were all Hillary supporters. Election day, we were, you know, excited, you know, about her becoming president, and then that didn't happen. <laughs> and, um, you know, we all had kind of different responses to it. Like, I I cried, but um, my sister, she didn't. She, I mean, but, which is fine. I don't think she should have cried. But uh, her response was just sort of like, well, you know, Trump's president now. There's nothing we can do about it. We just need to move on. So that was, like, back in November, December. And then January, like, um, the the Women's March, like, I went to the local one here, and uh, she wasn't really very supportive about that, and she just, you know, she kind of made me feel like she thought I had, like, a, I was going downtown with, like, a bag of bricks and going to, like, do some damage, you know, mm-hmm. which, like, wasn't what was happening at all, but, um, and then she was real annoyed by the women in their pink hats, and then, like, the next week, she seemed really concerned about... Milo, what's his face is like right to free speech. So I was just like, what's going on here? Like, just it just seems sort of strange. So then I went to look at her Twitter, and um, it's not, I mean, like, both her and I, our Twitters, we have no presence. You know, we've got like 60 followers, but I think we both use it the same way just to kind of look at what's happening, find out what's going on, and then, like, you know, kind of promote ideas or, or things that we want to you know, retweet and stuff. And I looked at her tweets and it was just sort of craziness. Like there's tweets about the deep state, Pizzagate, worldwide pedophile rings that are protected by the mainstream media, George Soros paying for the women's day off mm. or the day without women, fake news, um, you know, like New York Times, Washington Post being fake, fake news. It was just really not, like, in line with the way she's ever thought before. Like, you know, if, if in the past she'd been, like, a birther or something, then I, this wouldn't be, like, surprising to me. But I'm like, oh, my gosh, what's happening here? Huh. So then I went on my... I just started kind of tweeting against her tweets. That we, I just sort of entered into this little silent Twitter battle. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't think she even noticed. But then she did notice, and she got mad at me and said, you know, she wanted me to stop following her because I was making fun of her. Which I really wasn't making fun of her. I was trying to like get some different information out there. Mm-hmm. So and now we're not talking. And I mean, I didn't have a very good conversation with her that day that she told me to stop following her on Twitter because you know she told me that uh, she respected my opinion and I should respect her opinion. And I was like, but that like 
Pizzagate isn't an opinion, you know, like. Right. Like that, and, that's, and that's sort of the part that I really found interesting about your story, which is that you kind of ended it in this way, ended your conversation with her where she said to you, after she's put out all this disinformation, she, you need to respect her opinion. And that's, that's kind of how you left it. Yeah. And so we haven't really spoken. I mean, I'm not mad at her at all. I'm just concerned because I don't really know why, like, this stuff is, I don't know why she's seeking out this information. It's sort of like she doesn't trust the, you know, New York Times or Washington Post. Like, she's got to get deep in the Internet. And she's, like, following, like, this InfoWars mm-hmm. editor-at-large guy. Yeah, that like, yeah. So, Keely, do you... <laughs> Go ahead, Anna. Oh, I was just going to say, I was going to make sure, like, we, I think we are up to date on the situation, but Adam, do you have any questions for Keely before we try and delve into this a little bit? No, more? no. I Look, I've heard this um, a, a bunch of times. This is, this is a really common thing that's going on all over the country right now. And um, it is a thorny and difficult issue because the social, con- when someone says in the abstract, wow, she says her opinion, it's her opinion when it's factually untrue, it's easy to say, well, that's ludicrous, that's not an opinion. But when you're in front of someone, the social contract uh, is much more uh, sticky and, and complex. And it's difficult to look at someone and say, you're completely wrong. Um, but I think that perhaps one of the places to look for a solution here is in to really look at the root causes. I mean, it sounds a little bit like your sister is having a, a, a kind of an almost magical thinking response to the grief of, of what's going on. I mean, I've long believed that there is a comfort among conspiracy theorists because they'd like there to be somebody in charge, even if it's someone they're having to work against, because that's much better than the reality, which is that almost nobody's in charge. <laughs> I mean, and what seems strange to me, though, is just that there's this Russia thing that is a possible conspiracy. And instead of, yes. I mean, it feels, it feels like you feel kind of crazy being like, Russia, Russia, Russia. But that's like something that seems like that if you're looking for a conspiracy, that that might be a real one. And she just totally discounts the Russia thing. She's like, Russia, smash Russia. You know, it's like nothing, right. nothing to see that. And, and so... I keep redounding to, look, the caveat I'll give at the beginning is I'm a huge believer in therapy. I've been in therapy for uh, a couple of decades, and it's done tremendous things for me. So I really believe in sitting across from someone and talking through stuff. And one of the things, I actually come from a family of therapists. My mom is a a psychotherapist. And one of the things that a therapist um, must train themselves to do when they're sitting across from a patient is have what's referred to as an unlimited amount of positive regard for their patient. Mm. And they have to foment this in themselves. No matter what their patient is telling them, they need to look at that patient and think of, think of them in the most benign way possible. And so rather than concentrate on the facts that your sister is, is explicating or diving into to find some comfort in the difficulty she's having adjusting to the politics of the times. I might consider that you think about the, the grief and the, 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 the sadness that she might feel at feeling so powerless. And conspiracy theories, I think, make the powerless, help the powerless feel less powerless. You know, I, I, uh, when I tweet, and I tweet fairly politically, um, fairly frequently, I'm always operating under the assumption 
that most people out there are trying to do the same thing I am, which is just make a better world for my kids and for my neighbors. They might have different methods and they might be interpreting what's going on completely differently. But if we start from those root causes that were people and we love those people near us, I think we can find some common ground. And I'm not saying it's an easy solution, but if you start perhaps talking to your sister again when you guys feel comfortable and avoiding politics for a little bit of time but building some trust so that she feels like there there is a space for her. And this is one thing that has been proven repeatedly in psycho- psychological tests is when people believe something fervently and you show them facts to, that, that disprove it completely, they often hunker down and double down on those beliefs. People don't like being pushed off of their base. Yeah. It's called the backfire effect, straightforwardly enough. And, yeah. and Keely, I actually, my question for you, I think sort of dovetails with, with what or my suggestion slash question dovetails with what Adam's saying, which is that I think that when you're dealing with your sister, like you have to decide if your goal is to get along with her or your goal is to convince her that she's wrong. And I think those two goals are not necessarily in line with each other. And and, and I think what Adam is sort of suggesting is like establishing common ground first, right? And kind yeah. of kind of giving up a little bit yeah. on convincing yeah, her. Which, yeah, that, I mean, that makes sense. And, I mean, I understand, like, really neither one of our thoughts are that important. Like, we're not going to be able to change anything. She's right about... I mean, well, I try and do, like, you know... I, call, I, like, I wouldn't say that, Keely. Your, your thoughts time. are important. Your thoughts are important. But, but I mean, I, it's more important for us to get along. And I just... I mean, she has blocked me on Twitter now, so I, I don't... I mean, even though I can still go look at it if I want to, but... I mean, it was just looking at the stuff, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, what? Like, how is she thinking this stuff? Mm-hmm. And it still kind yeah. of bothers me, like, to talk to her. I mean, I I, I don't know. It's hard. Like, I, it's, I, I mean, she can believe that Pizzagate happened, but it, that kind of bothers me, too, at the same time, you know? But then I'm like, yeah, we can go hang out, and we don't have to talk about Pizzagate. That's fine. But it's just like, how in the world, like, you know... Is this your response to the election, like Pizzagate? You know, it's, mm. it's. But I do understand that. I can understand like there's a lot of fear, and that she's just trying to somehow make sense of things. Yeah. But the way she's making sense doesn't make sense to me. But that's okay. <laughs> you know, I, I look. I I I I have run into the similar similar issues. I I have a close friend, a husband of a, one of my oldest friends, who's super conservative, and recently told me as I brought up uh, a, a book in defense of a point that I was making about racism, rejected this entire book as a, as, as a reasonable thing to talk about within our discussion. And I felt so offended by his literally putting blinders on in the conversation that in my head for, for a time, I wrote him off completely. Like, I'm just not sure I can speak to this man again. And yet I realized, you know, this is someone within my social sphere and I'm going to need to, I'm going to need to sort that out. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I'm here to tell you, I agree. It's really, really complicated. And, and I guess I'll, I'll put a plug in here that, that sometimes putting the relationship before the, the facts, <laughs> as, as frustrating as that can be for people who think that that facts matter, that can lead to some shifts in opinions. You know, I mean, I think people who listen to this podcast are going to get bored of the story by the pretty soon but my husband 
when we started our relationship was a conservative Republican, like socially liberal, but pretty conservative on a lot of things. And he's not anymore. And I will tell you, though, but that's not because of me. In fact, like we made a decision kind of early on to not talk about politics because all we did was fight about it when we talked about it. (laughs) (laughs) So we just sort of kind of like bracketed it. And I tried to just have faith that this person that I loved and the things I loved about him, you know, his kindness, his empathy, his curiosity about the world, that those things would lead him in whatever direction needed to happen for us to be able to have our relationship, right? And yeah. and it and I'm not I don't even want to use the phrase it worked because it's not like I had a speci- I I let go of a specific outcome. You know, like I let go of trying to get him to agree with me and I'll tell you right now he doesn't agree with me on a lot of stuff. But his worldview changed and I think it changed because I I kind of allowed it to change. You know, right. I didn't you try to push space it. between you to open up. Yeah. So I think that Adam's advice, although it, it seems like we might be saying, you know, to, to, to not worry about the facts, I think what it, this is, is just like trying to have some faith that if you give her support and space, you know, maybe she will start to listen. Because I think he's right. I think a lot of people that double down into really dark conspiracy theories are scared. Like that's what's happening. You know, and right. especially. And also, go ahead. I'm sorry. I also think, like, in time, as time goes on, she may be able to look back and be like, oh, what was I thinking? You know, like, because, I mean, she doesn't, she's not like a big Donald Trump supporter. <laughs> so that's what's a little bit weird about, like, her tweeting all of kind of the alt right talking points. But I just kind of feel like as time passes, and I mean, who knows what's going to happen? You know, maybe he'll be out of office and people will start feeling stable again but like well as time listen, passes there's also the fact that there's also the fact that for you i can imagine um in this time that all of us i mean i don't care what side of the aisle you fall on everyone's stressed out in this country right now um for you you're feeling the stress of what's going on and you're confronted with someone super close to you who feels like they're behaving like part of the problem and when you're looking at, you know, solutions in your immediate vicinity, it also can make you feel quite powerless and angry that you can't affect even this thing really close to you. So another piece of my advice might be um, if you feel like you want to do something that brings about some healing in the country, it's, it's about finding some local activism mm-hmm. that you can do as a place to put that anxiety of what's going on with your sister as a way to sort of offset it. And it also has this separate benefit of setting a different kind of example. You're not just trying to correct her when you're with her. She sees that you're living an example of, I'm going to try and bring about some genuine change to make things better in the way that I see that they could be. And and I would add, if there's maybe something that's not a political issue, but that is a community issue that you guys can agree on, like maybe go walking some uh, shelter dogs together, like... That might be a a place to, you know, like, you can be out in the world doing some good together. And Yeah, but I'll come home with, like, eight dogs. (laughs) (laughs) And you might wind up with some extra dogs, you know. Um, But, but, or, I mean, there are other stuff you can do, too. I, of course, am a a fan of the cute pets are a solution to everything, but, you know. I totally agree with that. 
All right. Well, I mean, I do, I do too, but I just I can't have 20 dogs in my house, which is what would happen. Because <laughs> then we get a call from your sister saying, I have this, <laughs> I have poor Keely's <laughs> turned out. Okay, well, thank you so Thanks for taking the time to talk to me, and I think that's some good advice that I will take. All right. Thank you, Keely. Thank okay, you. Bye. Bye. You're listening to With Friends Like These with Anna Marie Cox. Uh, welcome back with friends like these. I'm Anna Marie Cox. I'm talking to Adam Savage, uh, editor-in-chief of Tested.com, a freelance mythbuster and science advocate. So, you know, I think we. what's interesting to me about the advice we both gave Keeley there is that it didn't really have to do with, like, mythbusting or science. Right. And it, because when you're dealing with the psychology of people, I think... And specifically, when you're dealing with the psychology of people who are standing in front of you, all the bets about facts have to play the back door to the emotional context of being around people that you care about, I think. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. And we, we were both blended on the same side with Keeley. But of course, that, you know, leads me to a larger discussion that we need. To, we're dealing in, in a time when... The emotions in our political sphere are so high pitched. It feels like we're having Keeley's situation, I, I, like in our everyday lives, all the time. With even with strangers, it's the it, because the emotions are so high pitched. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, no, totally. And I see it all over Twitter. And I, you know, I see uh, obviously all of us do when we follow a bunch of different people. We see many different approaches to this dichotomy. You know, I see uh, people like Josh Molina, uh, the actor. Um, being incredibly engaged and bombastic with people that he disagree with, disagrees with. Mm-hmm. Um, I see J.K. Rowling being, you know, using her her prodigious intelligence and biting ability to write well, um, using it as a weapon. Um, and for myself, um, when Trump signed the first travel ban, um, for the first time, really, in my years and years on Twitter, I felt the need to get really political, but I also immediately saw backlash and kind of stumbled into wanting to not preach to the choir Mm -hmm. and not necessarily wanting to convert uh, everyone to to my way of looking at things, but to at least find some common ground so that even if you really disagreed with me, um, you'd stick around because I was being polite about it. And this is all by way of saying, you know, Mythbusters has a huge contingent, Mythbusters and Tested have a large contingent of fans that disagree vehement with me, vehemently with me politically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I appreciate that. But you have, and here it is, sort of a parallel to being in a relationship with someone. You have relationships with these fans, right? You can't get mm-hmm. up in their grill with them in the same way you kind of can't get up in the grill of a friend or a family member, or you could, but it would just it would do him a harmed relationship. So, so where do facts come in then in a debate if we're trying to be polite and we're trying to like not get too high-pitched emotions, which can tend to backfire? And as you said in Tequili, sometimes if people are really dug in on their opinions, science shows us that telling them facts that you know, contradict their worldview, they'll just double down. Like, how do well, you marshal facts for an argument in an era when we're arguing so passionately that facts themselves almost do damage? Yeah. Look, I, the, the approach I've been taking is that facts totally matter, but it's also important that if I am 
I have a large platform. I have to recognize that. So if I'm going to do some sort of leadership with that platform, if I'm going to express my opinion in, in what I think are constructive ways, it's incumbent upon me to continue to establish the trust that I have with my audience. Uh, and so to me, being extremely civil is a key part of that trust. So, you know, I state outright um, frequently uh, Frequently that I'm assuming we're starting from the same place of wanting a better world for our kids. Mm -hmm. If you're a racist and you think that you're better than someone else by dint of your birth or the luck of <laughs> the, the luck of your skin color, I have no use for you. And I ignore, I literally reject that as a, as a category because I'm not speaking to those folks. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm also very careful about the links that I post. Like, I understand that, like, while I look at Huff, Huff and Post a lot, it's super polemical in ways that even I find really distasteful. And I consider that if I was always posting HuffPo articles, I wouldn't be really supporting my argument that much because I'm, I'm messing them up with polemicism. So I try and be very spread spectrum about the kind of stuff I use as, uh, as argumentative facts towards making my case. Mm -hmm. You know, and so where do you go that's not Huffington Post? I'm curious. What kind of places do you cite? Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of the Times. I also read The Economist and The Guardian. Um, my co-host, I'm, I'm on a stage tour right now called Brain Candy with, with Michael Stevens from Vsauce. And Michael does something which I have yet to work up the nerve to do. Um, he every day visits um, a whole bunch of the Donald Trump and right-wing subreddits. Mm. to read what, in his opinion, the quote-unquote other side is saying about stuff. Rather than reading the digested version, he wants to read it right from the community's mouth. And I really, I appreciate that. I, I think that's, that's, I mean, that's a, a, laudable, a laudable behavior there. Yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, I try to read right-wing stuff. I, I will admit I don't have the stomach for the Donald Trump Reddit, perhaps, that that might yeah. that might require a sturdier constitution um, in all senses um, of the word than I have. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I admire, but I do admire the impulse, and I think it is important to, to take into consideration the news sources that are forming the worldview of the people you disagree with. Like my in-laws you know, watch nothing but Fox News, right? Right. And right. so I watch a lot of Fox in part because to them, their way of thinking makes total sense. Right. The world that yeah. they live in, yeah. as described by Fox News, their opinions are rational and, um, you know, and also their opinions and, and policy uh, advocacy, whatever the uh, policy advocacy, that's a fancy way of putting it. But their opinions and, the, and what they think should be our policies stem from this wanting the world to be a better place, they just also happen to believe in there's creeping Sharia, you know? Right. So Right, right, right. It's, it, you know, and I think there's this added weight of, I, I remember the thing that used to drive me nuts when all my friends were film students is um, in a discussion when someone would say that movie is terrible, someone else would say, well, it made a lot of money, as if that mattered in any specific way. Um, but I think that people place mere ubiquity as a large value. So they look at Fox and they think, well, if someone's paying to put all this on television, it, you know, a whole bunch of it must be absolutely true. Um, yeah, it, it is. It's super, super thorny. But I also feel like 
I was I was backstage at a uh, one of John Hodgman's secret societies last year um, when a couple of really hilariously sweet Brooklyn hipsters came up to me, a couple, and said, "Oh, we're huge fans of your show." And then the guy said, "Hey, uh, the other night I was reading a bunch of stuff about how the moon landing was fake, and I was just wondering what's up with that." And I <laughs> right, so I said. My immediate response was to be funny. I was like, ah, "No, no, 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 no! Don't, don't believe any of that crap. It's totally, it's total, it's not, it's not true." Mm-hmm. And then he said, "Yeah, but some of the stuff was pretty convincing." And I realized, "Oh, no, no, no! He'd been actually a bit turned by this." Right. And so instead of just dismissing it as you know what a scientist would say, not even wrong, um, I spent about five minutes with him walking through because I know the arguments, walking through a bunch of the arguments and cogently, gently really talking about them. I wasn't dismissing him. I wasn't uh, uh, underestimating his intelligence. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't being haughty or, or dismissive. I think I said that first. But, and by the end, I really hope that I sent someone mm-hmm. away who was like, oh, I shouldn't believe that. Oh, but I'm not exactly sure. You know? Uh, well, I'm curious. I, when I, go ahead. Go ahead. No, after you, my friend. So I, I keep, I've always thought about politics as a hundred people. I've always thought about politics as what if there was a town with a hundred people in it? Um, how would you behave? And breaking it down to the simple data set of a small number of people has always kind of helped me understand. And that's also why, uh, to me, for myself, I need to be rigorously polite on Twitter because I feel like that politeness earns me the ability to to slowly um, put out fact-based information that could turn minds and could change people's outlook. We keep circling around this, and I, I do think it's true, and it's yeah. the point of this podcast is that we should be respectful in the way that we listen to one another, even if we don't agree. And what I've tried to do with this show and what I try to preach to people is even if there's no prospect of agreement, like you can't go into a conversation with the idea that my goal is to convince a person. My goal is to show them that they're wrong. Cause like that will end badly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> but um, it, it, I, I had, I had dinner with a, with this conservative friend of my mother a few years back and he was voting for Trump. I'm sorry. He was voting for McCain. And my mom. Said oh, those oh, though those days, those like days when we thought right. people voting for McCain were bad. <laughs> I know. Mm. And my mom said, "Why are you voting for McCain?" And he started to talk about it. And she she said something, and he immediately said, um, "Are you attempting to find out why I'm voting for McCain, or are you more interested in talking me out of it? Because I'm not interested in having a second conversation." Mm. And I thought. That was a beautiful bit of consciousness about what's going on here. Um, at the same time, right, it feels quite desperate because the war on facts and the war on fact-based uh, uh, policy, when you've got the budget director saying that globe, spending any money on global warming is a waste of taxpayers' money, mm-hmm. um, a fact completely immediately refuted by the Army Corps of Engineers and NASA and NOAA and every other government organization, it's it feels like the stakes are much, much higher than they've ever been before. I was, I was going to offer the hypothetical, like we're both 
preaching the idea that you should be, you know, kind and respectful and and, and attempt to understand before you try and convince. In fact, you know, convincing shouldn't be your operative goal. But I was just thinking like, okay, so Adam Savage, like you have a meeting with Donald Trump. What do you do? <laughs> wow. <gasps> Oh, what, my goodness. Like, what, could you even think about what to tackle first? Like, if you got a chance to talk to him, like, one-on-one, like, what would be the thing that you'd be like, this is what I really want to convince him? Or, again, we can't say convince. This is where I really want to try and reach him. Let's put it that way. Right. Um, goodness gracious. I would need several weeks to prepare for such a thing. But <laughs> um, my, my, my first thought is, um, honestly, because I feel... I feel, this is totally my personal opinion, that Donald Trump's psychology is fairly parsable from this distance, um, that I would play, that I would do my best to play upon his ego um, and attempt to point out that fact-based policy will be a faster way to a legacy he could be proud of and thus support his uh, crazy ego, um, as opposed to just continuing to attempt to deny reality in the face of um, the onslaught of actual facts. Yeah, I think I think that's probably the right way to go. Like, just, it's it's you just have to tell him what what you're trying to convince him of will make him popular. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, it, it, it's it's the, the I can't even imagine what the backdoor meetings sound like in the last 24 hours between these um, I'm, uh, these bastards, all of them, um, as they're you know trying to ram through this health care bill based on that has absolutely nothing to do with helping people, and and they're now openly admitting it, and they don't actually seem to have an ideology underneath that. Um, but so there's the personal, and then there's the political. So on the other front, though, where it feels like things are quite desperate, I feel very strongly in putting my body and my mouth and my intellect. Um, into the into the large stream of people protesting and making their voices heard, calling calling my Congress people, calling my senators, and uh, asking them to do the right thing and demanding that you know uh, that our fellow citizens being really taken care of. Uh, I think that has had a super positive effect, mm-hmm. especially uh, for the left, which. If I'm going to be really honest with you, I feel um, was a bit complacent up until now. I, I I think that you will not find much argument about whether or not the left was complacent up till now. I mean, they were complacent yeah. right up until Election Day. You know, <laughs> uh, this has been a wake up yeah. call. I mean, if we if we want to find some opportunities in the national crisis we're in, it's it's that we can no longer be complacent. And I think that that part about putting your body and your voice on the line in advocating for policies you care about. I think that's important in the project of reconciliation uh, in that it creates the visibility for the opinions that are that and policies we would like to be considered. It is helpful when you're talking to someone who doesn't agree with you to be able to say, look at all those people at the airports, right? Like as long as they don't right. think it's George Soros paying for everybody, like that that does seem to undercut it. But but even then, like if it's a big enough protest, they can't believe they're all paid by George Soros, right? So if you yeah. can point to popular support and say, look at all of this, um, all of these people that are hurt. Look at all of these people that are you know 
and being advocates for this policy that you say isn't popular, like that can be useful. Like they're just you just can't do it in the face of the person that you're trying to have a discussion with. Yeah. And, you know, also, I the, our government does respond when the people when when the people speak. I, I think that the, 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 the spontaneous protests in airport around the country after the first travel ban was signed are a real marker that the, the populace does have power, despite our, you know, weird electoral college and uh, difficult media that's going on right now. Um, and that I don't even feel the desperate need to change people's minds as much as I do to make to to make my voice heard to try and change the politicians uh, stance on things and you know I I plan absolutely to be campaigning uh, as much as I can to get back as much of the House and Senate in 2018 as I can because I firmly believe that you know that that is a path towards making sure more Americans are covered more Americans can get a decent education more Americans you know, won't go hungry and have health care. Um, I want to start to wrap things up just because I know I know you have to go because you're a busy guy. Um, but I'm thinking I, I know you're you're a science advocate. Uh, you're interested in f- thinking things through. And I also know you're a fan of science fiction. Um, <laughs> and I just wonder, you know, I I have dark moments when I think about our current political moment and I try and project forward and it seems a lot like some of the most, you know, dystopian scenarios that I've ever read. Do you ever have moments like that? I totally do. I I, I completely do. But I also, I really do. And then I realize that the sort of desperation and lack of being represented that I feel right now is the is something that, um, for instance, African-Americans and minorities in America have been feeling for decades and centuries. Um, And I do, even in my darkest moments, I do believe Dr. King is right when he says, um, you know, the moral arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice. Um, I do see, even though I see terrifying things like Marnie Le Pen and um, that politician, the various right-wing politicians all over Europe and the world, the Philippines being being brought to power, I also see a world that is getting smaller and a, a world community that is mixing more and more and more in the best way. Uh, and so I also, I try and hold this belief that it's it's the death rattle of of at this stage of human development where, you know, demonizing the other is the fastest path to power. I really, really look forward to a day when that is not necessarily the, the, the most efficient and efficacious way to get elected to office. And I think that seems like a good place to wrap up our conversation. We'll end on a <laughs> relatively hopeful note. Um, Adam? <laughs> Anna? <laughs> It's the best we can do for now. It's the best we can do for now. It's the best we can do for now. It won't be a dystopian hellscape. It it just might be the last time of dystopian hellscapes before we, you know, kind of are able to recorrect as a as a as a race, Uh, not race. Whoops. Um, 
Yeah, actually, kind of, <laughs> as a race, race. Yeah. you know? <laughs> race. Our, our individual, and it's important to say that our individual divisions of what we call race within the human race are completely fictional yeah. and actually ahistorical. They didn't exist 200 years ago for the most part. Yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those fact <laughs> things. All right. Cause so we were talking about George Soros paying or not paying for protesters. Adam, do you know where a good source for him to go if he was going to hire some protesters might be? If he was going to hire some protesters, oh, my goodness. Yeah, I think he's going to have to look at video footage of the Women's March because, you know, that's absolutely the people that uh, that will take the most money to go <laughs> I'm he, sorry. I just decided to go full absurdity on that. No, he, he could do that. But also there is a website. It is called ZipRecruiter. And it is for people who are hiring. And it is where you find your best job candidates. You post to one place. Rather than going bit by bit through videos from the Women's March or the airport protests, <laughs> you can just go to ZipRecruiter. And you can find the perfect hire. And you only need to post once. And it'll go to all the top job sites. Um, it'll go to 200 of them, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. You can find candidates in any city, industry, or nationwide, or in any congressional district, let's say, if you're hiring congressmen. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll in to ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. We might have considered doing this for president. I'm just saying. <laughs> Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by Fortune 100 companies and thousands of small and medium-sized businesses. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash friends. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash friends. One more time, ZipRecruiter.com slash friends. You're listening to With Friends Like These with Anna Marie Cox. So I have been doing the web for a long time more time than I'd care to admit, something like 20 years. But when it came time for me to do my own website, honorariecox.com, I didn't try to do it by myself. I actually used Squarespace. And if you've ever tried to start your own website, you know what a hassle it can be, even if you have a lot of experience, but especially if you don't know what you're doing. You can make your next move and make your next website with Squarespace. You can create a beautiful website with their all-in-one platform. There's nothing to install or patch or upgrade ever. There's just beautiful templates for you to choose from. They provide award-winning 24-7 customer support, and they will help you get your own custom domain with an experience that's fully transparent and simple to set up. Make your next move. Lock down your domain name and create a website to launch that idea. Use the offer code FRIENDS for 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's FRIENDS for 10% of your first purchase of a website or domain with Squarespace. And remember, they make it easy. Welcome back to the show. This is With Friends Like These, a podcast about uncomfortable conversations. Welcome Ezekiel Kweku, my colleague at MTV News. Hi. Hi. Thanks for coming. So I wanted to talk to you because you are one of my favorite skeptics on Twitter. You're at Shrillist. Or, uh, sorry, at The Shrillist on Twitter. And you're also my wonderful colleague who's, who's um, something of a professional skeptic. And I've been really paying attention to you as I see this sort of equal and opposite reaction happening among liberals and progressives in the embrace of conspiracy theories. And it just seems like, you know, we had this whole generation or whole eight years where you know, Alex Jones, Glenn Beck, whatever, had their chalkboards and their whiteboards and their um, tinfoil hats. 
And they ginned up um, all of these things that seemed laughable at the time that they took very seriously that helped, you know, set up the stage for our conspiracy theorist in chief to be elected. But that now it does feel a little bit like liberals, progressive Democrats are doing something like that themselves. Now, the first reaction probably for some people is going to be like, but we have reason to believe what we believe. But do you think maybe there is something that's sort of conspiracy theorizing a little bit? I think I definitely think that there's some conspiracy theorizing. I think people are scared and confused. And when people are scared and confused, they reach for things that can organize the world, that can make sense of it, um, that, that can put all the pieces together. And that's, I think, the primary function of conspiracy theories. It takes a world that seems chaotic and random and confusing, and it makes it all make sense. And I think one attraction of conspiracy theories about um, Trump and Russia is that one of the primary questions that um, liberals have been asking themselves is, how could this happen? How could Trump win? Um, And these conspiracy theories give a semi-comforting answer um, in that it's almost like there is nothing that could be done. Um, There's this conspiracy theory that that made it happen. And I think that um, that's sort of a comforting thing um, to know that there's nothing that people could have done that it's this conspiracy theory that happened. It's someone else's fault. Right. Uh, it, it, it kind of lifts blame in a few different ways. First of all, you don't have to think to yourself, maybe, well, I, I didn't go out and organize in my neighborhood, but that's I, even if I had, you know, it wouldn't have done any good. There's sort of that kind of really personal lifting of responsibility. And then I think there's also, you know, if we think that it's Russia or, you know, whatever shadowy network it may be, you don't have to think about some uglier reasons that Trump won, right? Exactly. And I mean, I think um, reality is often pretty boring. Mm -hmm. It's often boring and brutal and um, depressing. And um, I think that sometimes people have a tendency to reject um, boring, brutal realities for something that's a little bit more fantastic because it offers them an external enemy to fight. Mm -hmm. Um, So, for example, if Trump won, let's just just pick an example of a factor that, that might have helped Trump won. If Trump won because of white supremacy, then that's super depressing because I mean how do you how do you fight that you've been talking about how you fight that for you know since the dawn of this country um and the way forward is it's uncertain um and it requires each person to do little things that uh over time that may not work immediately, that you may not see the results of, et cetera, et cetera. It's not a really inspiring, it's not an inspiring enemy. Mm. Whereas with the Trump-Russia Russia thing, you have 
you know, this external enemy that you can project evil on and it's, you know, unified into one person who is doing things for a reason and we can defeat that, that thing or that person. We can investigate, we can find out what happened and um, we can beat them. Right. Whereas, yeah. whereas white supremacy, and I want to be clear in case people haven't listened to previous episodes, but when you say white supremacy, you're not talking about the Klan necessarily. Like you're talking yeah. about the more boring forms of white supremacy, the structural racism, um, the fact that a majority of white women voted for Trump, um, the kind of white supremacy that's been embedded in our culture and that would require individual white people to do something. Right. It's it's a diffuse set of systems and assumptions and then also people just acting on their own that that further it. It's not, you know, an organization um, and you don't have to be a quote unquote white supremacist um, to participate in it. <clears throat> it can be as simple as um, it can be motivated for things as, as simple as wanting your children to go to a good school. Um, and you think that you're doing it and it has nothing to do with the race, but the consequences are that you end up with segregated schools. Um, or you, or you think that, you know, immigration is taking jobs and you think that that's why you're voting for protectionist and trade policies and for, um, harsh immigration standards, but really automation's taking your jobs <laughs> right. and you're blaming, you know, black and brown people. Um, so, so talking about a Russia conspiracy in a weird way, like lifts self-examination and, and the burden of self-examination from people. And although it may sound scarier to blame Russia, it's actually less scary because you don't have to look, you're still looking overseas or at other people. You're not looking in the mirror. Yeah, and you're not looking in the mirror personally, and you're not, like, sort of collectively looking at America and its institutions and um, how they could have brought us Donald Trump. Um, and I think that's that's in some ways comforting for people. It's also something that's new, um, and I think that that also grabs people's attention. Like, I saw someone... Um, a democratic fundraiser um, tweeting about how if Putin wanted to destroy America from within, wouldn't the first thing that they do that he did to go after would be to go after um, American healthcare. Mm. And so Putin is then behind the GOP attempts to um, dismantle Obamacare. And that's sort of, that's an extreme example of something that something that someone would say, but I think like at the core, um, if you think about that it's Putin, then you don't have to think about why Republican congressmen are trying to dismantle Obamacare and what their possible motives might be, what they're what's driving them, the boring things that are driving them. Um, you don't have to contend with that. You can contend with this external enemy with the very simple goal of destroying America. And that's, um, I think that's a little bit, that's more comforting for people in a weird way. And that also sort of 
that worldview posits an America that's pretty um, doesn't that is in good shape in a way, right? Like when we're talking about an external enemy destroying America, I think that posits American is already great kind of thinking, you know, which, you know, maybe the truth is America. I am a fan in general, you know, but, (laughs) (laughs) but it's not, you know, we have some pretty serious issues and those issues were going to exist no matter whether or not, you know, Trump was elected. Like we were going to the racism that exists today and the tendency to in, continue to enable white supremacy exists exist today would have existed if, even if Hillary Clinton had won. Yeah. And you, you get people saying um, not infrequently that it's too bad Hillary Clinton didn't win because then they wouldn't have to worry and they, didn't, they wouldn't have to be as politically engaged. They wouldn't have to protest. And I, I mean, I sympathize with that. Clearly, there are things that that probably wouldn't happen if um, that we wouldn't have to necessarily worry as much about mm-hmm. if Hillary Clinton was president. But on the other hand, um, there are there are lots of durable things that durable issues that go beyond one one presidential administration. I mean, the whole Black Lives Matter movement um, was formed and existed under Democratic presidential administrations, for instance. Um, and the things that um, that they're fighting against, you know, mass incarceration, police brutality, etc., those things um, go beyond one party, they go beyond one presidential administration. Um so, yeah, I think there's a little bit of a tendency to blame everything that's wrong on, you know, this one event that happened when it when it goes beyond that. And I, I think the problems of mass incarceration and uh, police brutality, unfortunately, kind of segue, help me segue pretty, I won't use the word gracefully, but they help me segue <laughs> to the extreme version of conspiracy theory, let's say, which is that the pushing of our current situation, the imagining it forward into dystopias and fascism, which is something that is, seems to run, you know, parallel to conspiracy theorizing on the left, right? Which is that you have, there is the theories about, oh my God, puppets behind, you know, Putin behind the screen, you know, and his puppets, and then there's the, and if all works out according to plan, then, you know, destroy America from within, fascism, it's going to be terrible. But what they that does is sort of somewhat like what conspiracy theorizing does, right? Which is that it puts off, it puts off uh, dystopia into the future, whereas maybe dystopia is not the future. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, as you and I've talked about in, um, as I've written about, there's a long history of these imagined, what are imagined dystopias for white people that have existed in this country um, for black people. They're, they aren't imaginary, they're, they're history for black people. And I think one tendency, and it's hard to know what the connection between those two things is, right? Like, is it is it that the that white people are sort of absorbing um, these conspiracies, absorbing black history and turning it into conspiracy. 
is the connection that concrete um, or is it just a, a coincidence that the things that white people worry about are things that have already happened um, to black people? It's, it's sort of a, a weird, I don't know, psychological thing on the one hand or, or a weird coincidence on the other. I'm going to take a stab at like it's it's not a conscious thing because I think there are probably plenty of white people that are not conscious of the dystopian or fascistic environments that we have imposed upon black people. Like what's an example that you're thinking of when you say that that, that white people are worried about something happening that's already happened to black people? So like one thing that I heard, I mean, I, I've been hearing about for years is how there's this government conspiracy to take everyone's guns away. Um, that the federal government um, under Democrats is just trying to figure out a way to outlaw gun ownership, for instance. Um, and the reason why they're doing that is so that they can have more control over people because people won't be armed and they won't be able to, to fight back. And I mean, that exact thing happened to black people um, in the early 1790s um, they there was federal law that was manda- that mandated um, for black people for for citizens to own guns but many state laws um, forbade um, even you know free black men and women from owning guns and, and owning ammunition and the reason why that was done is because they were worried that um, black people might fight repression. Um, or another, um, and then another more recent example is um, how when the Black Panthers began to arm themselves, it was then that white people decided, well, maybe we need we need gun control laws um, in order to prevent um, black people from um, carrying guns openly. Um, we actually talked about that a little bit with our colleague Jane Coatson a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. that very mm-hmm. issue. I think with friends like these, it's rapidly becoming the um, most pro-Second Amendment um, progressive <laughs> podcast there is. Uh, like, this is the one liberal podcast where you're going to hear you know, more than what you might have expected to hear about how gun ownership can be a good thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the way, the, what our guest then said, um, we were talking about, because what we actually were talking about is just in, right now, should people, um, should people who want to quote, you know, hashtag resist, Trump government be buying guns because apparently you probably know this, but there has been a spike in gun um, purchasing among minority groups recently. Yeah. 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 I mean, it sounds sort of on the one hand, it sounds silly, but on the other, like um, I'm working on a piece with, with Jane right now about um, black people who were resisting, um, you know, white supremacist fascism in the United States. And, like, it's impossible to read that history and not think, like, one of the major lessons is, like, buy guns. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am I think you can be for common sense gun control and be a gun owner. I, I, 
I believe that it's a prudent thing to do is to educate yourself about gun ownership. Don't just go out and buy one, you know, like educate yourself, get some training. I will say um, it's actually fun to go shooting. There's I think there are very few people that could argue to me that it is not fun to go target shooting. That is like just a fun thing to do. And that's why there are video games based on it. So I would encourage people to go do that, too. Yeah. <laughs> Another example is um uh with voting, like one example is that um Republicans and conservatives are often often talk about how someone is gonna rig the vote um and steal the election. Um Trump talked about that even before the election. That he was afraid it was gonna be rigged. Um his surrogates I think Roger Stone was one of the people who said, like, he thought it was, like, that they'd already started rigging it. And, I mean, if you go back, even even before Trump, um, you heard conservatives and Republicans talk about being afraid of um, voter fraud being used by Democrats to steal elections. Um, even Even though there's not really widespread evidence of voter fraud. Um, But there is a long history of people trying to rig elections to steal votes. Um, You know, before the Civil Rights Act, there were, I mean, people tried to prevent black people from voting by any means necessary. Mm. Um, They used voter intimidation. They used they they killed people who were registering black people to vote. Um, they created special primaries that only white people could vote in um, for their parties. They rigged literacy tests. Um, they created um, special special rules um, for voting um, that exempted white people um uh, they're called grandfather clauses Mm. um so like there's that that long history and then you know and currently right now i mean it is in the gop's best interest to um prevent as many black people from voting because black people tend to vote democrat so there's a bunch of means that um yeah that republicans use now to prevent black people from voting i mean i think Um, i think it's already pretty well established that trump is the master of projection you know just himself mm -hmm. and i think that what you're kind of laying out is that if there's a sort of projection that happens with white people in general too right like whatever these things that we fear are things that we have already done like yeah whether or not consciously or not whether or not it's conscious it's it is a history that is there and if we're really worried about the future like the history that of oppression that has already happened is maybe the most important thing we could look at yeah i I agree and i think there is definitely something to a subliminal fear that um of white people that what they have done in the in the past will be done to them in the future. Um, and I think some of that is almost, some of that is pretty explicit. Um, but I think some of that is like, 
buried psychologically. Mm. Um, we started out the show, which you didn't know about, but we started out the show talking about therapy. And <laughs> if there was a way to prescribe like massive, you know, amount of like self-examination for white people, I'm sure that we would do it. But that is sort of what the Trump presidency has done, right? Like, hey, hey, guys, like put yourself on the couch. Um, we've just about run out of time, but I wanted to thank you for joining me, um, Ezekiel Kweku, uh, at The Shrillist. Um, you're a staff writer at MTV and you're working on some great stuff. I know, like you've mentioned And again, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, that is the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking with it the entire time. If you enjoyed it, please remember to rate and review on iTunes or wherever it is you get your podcast and encourage people to subscribe and rate and review. Rating and reviewing is how other people find out about the show. So it's pretty important. And if you enjoyed the show and you want to follow the conversations that happen after it, you can follow Adam on Twitter at Don't Try This. Ezekiel is at The Shrillist, and he is pretty hilarious, I have to say. And the show has its own Twitter feed, which is not super, super active. It's mainly just letting you know when the show gets posted. And that is at Crooked underscore Friends. If you want to email me or the show, you can do that, too. Uh, with friends like pod at gmail.com. Again, that's with friends like pod at gmail.com. Please send your question or problem or suggestion. If you have something that you want us to discuss, send it as a voicemail or an MP3, and maybe we can have you on the show like we had Keely. This has been really fun. I really appreciate the feedback that we've gotten so far. I hope that you guys are having as much fun, but aren't quite as uncomfortable as I am. Tune in next week. The show drops every Friday. Thanks. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the hotter, juicier, classic burgers. Mr. Hamburglar. Bravo, bravo. He said, of all the McDonald's burgers I've ever hamburgled, these are the hottest, juiciest, and tastiest. Bravo. Hurry in and enjoy one of our 350 bundles, like a daily double and small fries for a limited time. Price and participation may vary. Can I be combined with any of the offer comparison of prior classic burgers? ba ba ba